0: when we did meet together. Uh, one of the things that we had talked about was some of the early church fathers and I began to name some of them and just to see how many people had heard of them. And unfortunately, one of the things we don't do a lot of today is um, share any, uh, we share very little uh, from some of the early church fathers such as um, Ignatius, Irenaeus, Eusebius, Eusebius, Uh, just the list goes on and on and on okay Um, we just we just don't spend a lot of time talking about some of these early church fathers and and I think one of the things that we do is we miss out uh, on a considerable amount of history uh, when it comes to the infant years of the early church a lot of people think the early church all started you know it's uh, after Jesus Christ's earthly ministry now there are some who think that Jesus Christ started churches during his earthly ministry let me share something with you he did not okay uh the church movement as we know it began uh as you come to acts chapter number 2 in the day of pentecost and after peter stood to 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 preach um the movement began to start okay and what was necessary in order for this portion to begin of course was the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the coming of the Holy Spirit made the way possible. That's the reason that Jesus told the disciples in Acts chapter number 1 that they were to stay and wait in Jerusalem. They were not to do anything. They were not to go anywhere but to stay in Jerusalem. And one of the things that they did, they were gathered together in the upper room, 120 approximately of them, and they began to pray, waiting for the promise of the Father, which would have been the Holy Spirit to come. And then you move to Acts chapter number two, and that's exactly what happened uh, just the way that Jesus had told them. And then he told them, he said, and when the promise of the comforter, when the promise of the Father does come, he told them, you'll be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. So in other words, the movement would begin and uh, spread across all of the entire world. And for them, imagine being those, imagine being those 11 and with the women gathered in the upper room and thinking about the task that was ahead of them, okay? One of the things that they were still struggling were was with the the physical versus the spiritual. One of the things that they just absolutely still kind of struggled with as a matter of fact, the disciples asked Jesus before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he asked them, so is it now time for this earthly kingdom of Israel to be brought to light? And of course, we know what Jesus told them in Acts chapter number one of what was going to occur uh, after the ascension with the coming of the promise of the Father and of course the Holy Spirit and eventually uh, the beginning days of the early church. I know, how many of you in here just do not like history at all? How many of y'all love history? I love it, okay. Uh, And let me tell you something. How many of you have ever heard this statement? Okay, you need to know about history so that you don't repeat it, okay. And how much of early church history do we really know? You know, how much of the early days, and let me ask you a question. Uh, what we have today, we owe a lot to, okay, of those who have gone before us. In the days of Peter and all of those gathered together in the upper room, one of the things that they did not have was a CBD that they could order material from or anything like that, uh, how to uh, put together a Sunday school, how to start a church, any of those things. And so under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God, they begin to do what they were uh, given to do. So you have Peter and uh, James and John and the 11 and all those who were gathered together in the upper room. And it's interesting when you come through the book of Acts, uh, when you move from chapter 2 to chapter 3 into chapter 4, Peter, of course, stood and preached in Acts chapter number 2. Um, When you come to chapter number three, of course, there were some things that were taking place. Uh, Peter's second sermon is recorded in chapter three. The healing of the lame beggar is in chapter three. Peter and John are arrested now. Uh, I bet that wasn't on their agenda, okay? But they've been arrested. And um, basically, they've been released and let go. And then you come to Acts chapter number 5 and you have the fate of Ananias and Sapphira uh, because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Then you move to Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7, which is two interesting uh, chapters. Chapter 6 and chapter 7 deal with Stephen, the first martyr. Okay, Uh, Stephen uh, speaking plainly and clearly about the gospel. And, of course, we know the outcome of that in Acts chapter number 7. Stephen is stoned to death uh, because of his testimony of Jesus Christ and because of the gospel. And there was one standing at the stoning of Stephen, and his name was Saul. And Saul actually had the cloak of Stephen, and he approved and affirmed the stoning of Stephen. Uh, That was Saul. And you come to chapter number eight, and we get this, we get this insight into Saul, uh, which oftentimes we, we hear all about Paul and his pastoral heart and his love and all of that for believers and all of his love for the churches and all of that. But one of the things that you need to always keep in the back of your mind, it didn't start that way, right? You have to understand who Paul was, and and I will say this tonight: no single man shaped Christianity more than the Apostle Paul. Um, just just not one. Okay. Uh, So when you consider the significance of that, and, and let me say this: no one did more for the faith, and yet seemed more unlikely to have been involved in its spread. Well, when you look at Acts chapter 8, if you'll take your Bibles and turn there, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through verse 3, you will find a description of Saul uh, before he meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And so Saul, and, and just to kind of share this with you, Saul was in agreement um, about persecuting and. And basically bringing uh, those of the way, those believers, those Christians back to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, he was in hearty agreement even with putting them to death. Now that's who this this Saul is. And then continuing in verse 1. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. You ought to underline that. A great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. So... You know, we talk about persecution in the church today. How much persecution do we see in the church today in the West? Okay? Pretty much zero. Okay. Uh we don't we, we don't concern ourselves with meeting together. Uh we don't concern ourselves with reading the word, praying together, and all those type of things. But one of the interesting things that you find here is The great, and and, and I want you to know something, it doesn't say just persecution, it was a great persecution uh, that began to start against the church in Jerusalem. Keep in mind, this church that was, that had its beginning days in Jerusalem was in its infancy with those who were of the way, okay? In other words, believers, okay? And let me also say this, and and please don't lose sight of this. We're talking primarily Jewish believers, okay? Not Gentiles, Jewish believers, okay? So verse 2, or the end of verse 1, and so they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. They were all kind of centered there in Jerusalem because keep in mind the reason that they're still in Jerusalem is because that's where they were told to stay. Until after the day of Pentecost. Now, things are going to begin to move. Things are going to begin to scatter. Okay? And let me tell you the reason that they're going to begin to scatter and the reason the apostles will begin to move as well is because of the persecution that is going to to occur. So what happens? um, Verse 2, so some devout men, they buried Stephen and they made loud lamentation over him. They mourned over Stephen. But look at verse number three, and so Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women, and he put them in prison. Now that's who this is. You know, that one that we talk about, the apostle Paul, yes, the one that I was Speaking about this morning, that we saw the very pastoral heart of Paul as he wrote the letter to the church at Philippi. Yes, this is the same one. In the beginning days of the infancy of the early church, all right? And so I also made a statement about him that he probably seemed more unlikely to have been involved in its spread. And you say, well, for what reason? Well, go back to Philippians, okay? If if you remember this from when we were looking at Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter 3 and look at verse number 4. And this this is what we find Paul making reference to himself prior to meeting Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And uh, so I want you to notice what he wrote in his letter to the church at Philippi. He said, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, here's what Paul said. He said, there was nobody who had more confidence or who had reason to put more confidence in the flesh than I did. And now what he's going to do is he's going to give us his resume in the days when he was Saul. Okay, And notice what it says. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. And guess what? He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And matter of fact, he said, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal. And and let me say this about him. There was no one more zealous than, than, than Saul was. And so as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He had the best teaching as a Jew, as a Hebrew, that could be had in his day. And so... Here's what he said. He said if, if if there's anybody who could have had confidence simply in the flesh, it was him. Now, what happened? Well, the church began to the church began to to change. And Judaism began to set a begin to set a path and a course. And so as these changes begin to come in Jerusalem within inside of the church there became a real issue. And especially over those who were considered of the way versus those who held on to orthodox Judaism. And you say, well, in, in what way? Well, what was taking place in Jerusalem primarily at this time, there was some disagreement over those who wanted to be believers and follow Jesus Christ versus orthodox Judaism. So by the time you come to Galatians, this of course is written by Saul, whose name now is Paul, also the apostle to the Gentiles. And so now in Galatians chapter 3, as he's writing this letter, I want you to notice with me what he says About this debate that is occurring now in chapter number two, he just had a confrontation with Peter over this issue. So when we come to chapter three, beginning in verse 10, I want you to notice as Paul lays it out, Galatians chapter three, verse 10 down through verse 14 is the reason of the difficulty in the church in Jerusalem. And I want you to notice what it says for as many as are of the works of the law, notice what it says, they're under a curse. For it is written, and here's what Paul is getting ready to do here. Paul is actually going to quote from Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26. He's going to go back to the Old Testament, and now he's going to quote, and notice what he says. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Because see, the book of Deuteronomy, when you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26, one of the things that you're going to find is the law demanded perfection. So if you were going to hold to that in order to be a part of the church, you had to keep the law, that meant that you had to keep every single part of the law. And if you didn't, cursed is the one who did not keep the law in its entirety. And so therefore, it was based upon your works. It was based upon what you're able to do. It was based upon solely what you were able to accomplish in holding and sticking to and abiding by the law. And so in verse 11, Paul says, now that no one is justified By the law before God is evident for, and notice what he says, the righteous man shall live by faith. And he just finished up in the first part of chapter number three. Romans chapter number four covers this. Abraham himself, which was an Old Testament patriarch. Abraham himself, his righteousness came as a result of his works? No, It came as a result of his faith. Galatians chapter 3, the first part of chapter number 3, Paul deals with that in his letter to the church at Galatia. Also in Romans chapter number 4, he goes through a complete discourse in what was necessary in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about works. It is about faith. And so he quotes from the Old Testament itself, basically taking the Judaizers or the, those still steeped in Orthodox Judaism, and he takes them back to their own text and says, and it says in verse number 11, the righteous man shall live by faith. In other words, grace. Verse 12, however, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, and now he's going to quote again from the Old Testament out of Leviticus chapter 18 and verse number 5. He who practiced them shall live by it. In other words, if you're going to hold to the law, then you got to keep the law and you got to keep every entity of the law. And if you don't, you're going to come up short. And let me say something to you tonight there was it was absolutely humanly impossible for a human being to have kept all the law one that walked on the face of the earth said i have not come to do away with the law but to fulfill the law jesus christ is the only one who could have kept all of the law. He was the fulfillment of the law. Verse 13, Paul goes on, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, cursed is the man that hangs on a tree For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He goes back and he pulls that from the Old Testament. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I hate to say this to you, but there is no works. Zero. It's not about what you can do. It's all about what he's already done. And so the beginning days of the early church, they struggled with a lot of this. And so the gospel, as it begins to spread, as it begins to make its move and and begins to make its move throughout the regions, it did not happen without difficulty. Matter of fact, I will say this, this was strong medicine for Judaism and the religious authorities wanted no part of it. And there was, listen, there was great dissension in the church. In the early infant days of the church, there was great dissension in the church over those who held on to Orthodox Judaism and those who were of the way, set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by grace now through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, but those who were still trying to hold on to this works of keeping the law. And so it caused a great amount of discord within the church. So the persecutor of Christians became the persecuted among Christians. So he became now, the one who was persecuting the Christians became the persecuted Christians among Christians however (laughs) here's the great part of this you ready okay he would be the one that God would use to bridge the gap between Jew and Gentile don't ever count out who God can use the least likely that we would ever think That we would ever think within our minds that God could possibly use. But then I asked the question who better to use than the very one who was persecuting the church of God? On the road to Damascus, Saul had an encounter with this one named Jesus Christ face to face encounter. After the road to Damascus in Acts chapter number nine, his whole entire life changed completely. And now Paul said in Philippians chapter number three, he said, all of those things that I at one time counted as gain in my life, he said now, he said, they're, they're, they're not even worth even, even understanding or recognizing anymore so that I might win Christ. Now all of that that was in front of him once before had now been discarded and now his entire focus was on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Completely changed by the power of God. And let me say this tonight. Why in the world would we today ever discount the very power of God in changing somebody's life? Yes, even the one less likely that we think would ever go through a change like that. Don't ever discount God working in the heart of an individual. Because it is God who works in the heart. And I think sometimes we kind of lose sight of that. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. I just looked up there and looked at the clock and I said, hmm. I said, I just gave you all the introduction for tonight. Okay. And now we're going to get into the next hour. Acts chapter 13, I want you to notice with me verse, beginning in verse 44, we are making our way to Pisidian Antioch here, and we're going to meet somebody by the name of Paul. So, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord, but when the Jews saw the crowds... Now, I want you to see that phrase. When the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with what? Jealousy. And began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were what? They were blaspheming. So Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. And let me tell you why. The Jews were to be the light to the rest of the world and to the Gentile nations. So when the gospel came, it went to the Jews first. Who did it go to the Jews first under? Peter. And as Peter and the disciples began, uh, the apostles began to make their way and they began to make their journeys out, they were carrying, where did the first place they go to when they went into a town was to the synagogue. Let me ask you a question. Where did Paul first go when he went to, to begin his missionary journeys? Where was the first place that Paul went to when he went into a town? The to the synagogue first. To have a conversation with the who? The Jews. Okay? That's, that's where he first went. And so that's why he says in this verse, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. But he says, since you repudiate it and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, basically he, he told him, said, Since you're rejecting it, we're going to take it to the Gentiles. You ready for this? All part of God's plan. And so now Paul is going to be that one who is going to bridge the gap between the Jews and the Gentiles. So what happens? Verse 47, so the Lord has commanded us. He's going to quote from the Old Testament. Guess where he's pulling this from? In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah. I've placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now look at verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. When you go and and read that, you'll find that the Jews were thankful, and they were clapping, and they were rejoicing because of what was happening to the Gentiles. Is that what your text says? What does yours say? <laughs> Stirred them up, huh? They stir them up? Sure they did. Verse 50 and verse 51. But look at verse 51. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them, and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy. With what? Joy. The Gentiles were believing. They were accepting the gospel. The Jews were continuing to reject it. They were stirring up trouble, okay? And guess what they did? With joy, they shook the dust off their feet, and guess where they headed? They went to Iconia. You see, I think one of the things we miss out about Paul, Paul was actually a part of three worlds when we consider him. He was a part of three worlds, and let me give you the three worlds that he was a part of. Number one, Jewish number two, Gentile, and number three, Roman. If you remember about Paul's life, one of the things that he cautioned them about is when they captured him and, and he told them that he wanted to see Caesar in Rome and they found out that he was also, because Paul was, not only Jewish, not only was he Gentile, but he was Roman because he was also a Roman citizen. And so Paul touched all three worlds. And so when you consider God using Paul and all that Paul was a part of, it makes absolute sense of why God would use someone like him. So as the gospel began to spread throughout all of the regions, more Gentiles were becoming followers of Christ. But here's what I want you to keep in mind. Jerusalem was coming apart. Jerusalem was becoming basically, it was coming apart at the seams. The church in Jerusalem, with all of its discord, with all of its difficulties, was coming apart. As the church in Jerusalem, and and basically what they did was they, they kept holding on to their strict adherence to Jewish orthodoxy. Persecution was going to come. Persecution was finding its way into the church in Jerusalem. Approximately AD 64, so here comes some of the history I said that we would eventually get to. So in AD 64, all right, James, the son of Zebedee, a dear close one to Jesus Christ himself. Matter of fact, one of the disciples was killed at the order of Herod Agrippa I. Flip back to chapter number 12. And look at verse 1 through verse 3. So you had Stephen who was martyred, and now you're going to have James. In Acts chapter number 12, James is going to be killed as well. Okay? So now, about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them, persecution, and he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So he was killed for the sake of the gospel. So what did this do to the church in Jerusalem? It pretty much left the church without a leader and completely demoralized. That's where they were. So keep in mind that Jerusalem is still under Roman control. In AD 66, the Jews mounted a revolt against Rome. Rome beginning in the city in Jerusalem of Jerusalem and so the fate of the church and the Jewish world also would come to an end christian jews and here's the reason christian jews now these are ones of the way christian jews were also barred from synagogue services could no longer attend any Jew who wished to remain faithful to their region. Now watch this: any Jew who wished to remain faithful in their region to Jewish or, or uh, to their to their way, okay, in in any region in any region that they were in, okay, are you ready for this? Could not be Christian. If you wanted to still be a part of the synagogue, you could not be Christian. Let me share something with you. I don't know if you know this today or not. But a very good friend of mine by the name of Hilton Glass, who is a Messianic Jew. When Hilton gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ to become a believer of the way, he was completely disowned by his family. Let me tell you why. Because they are Jew, they are Orthodox Jews. See, for us in here tonight, okay. I mean we don't experience things like that now, I believe that there was a day and there, there there was a day earlier i don't from ones I talk to today, it's not quite as much of an issue however there are, st- are there are still some families that look at themselves in Catholicism in this way that if you break from Catholicism and you become another Let's say, for instance, Baptist. Okay, then it causes difficulty with inside of the family. Let me share something with you tonight. Let me tell you what the issue is, and please, please listen to me. It's the same thing Paul dealt with here. Okay, the issue is not a denominational uh, uh, label. The issue is Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Because when we consider the kingdom, when we consider the kingdom and being a part of the kingdom, okay, I don't know about you, okay, (laughs) my first priority is the kingdom. To make sure that I'm a part of what Jesus Christ has to offer through his finished work on the cross of Calvary, his resurrection, and eventually his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Because there's a day coming when the ones who will stand at the judgment seat of Christ are those who belong there as believers through Jesus Christ. So where do we find ourselves now at this point? Struggles in the early church. Discord in the early church over doctrinal and theological issues. That ran very deep. And let me say something to you tonight that has not changed where we are today. It still exists. So, what happens from here? Well, Jesus, during his earthly ministry, this is AD 66, and about this time is when the Jews mount this revolt against Rome. And now, as we move and kind of fast forward to AD 70, Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed. The temple is completely destroyed. Can anybody remember someone who prophesied that that was going to happen? How about Jesus himself? He said there won't be one stone left on top of another. So guess what we're happening and find happening here? James is martyred. Or not martyred, he's killed. Stephen had been martyred, James has been killed for the sake of the gospel. Most of the original apostles, by the time you move to AD 70, most of the original apostles were dead and the works that they had founded were passed into new hands. But, but, the gospel would endure persecution and opposition. Emerging centuries later as the dominant faith of the Roman Empire. Hmm, really? AD 70 through AD 312 was known as the age of Catholic Christianity. That's what it was called. Simply put, Catholic in that term is here's what it meant. Simply put, a development of Jesus' plans and Paul's efforts. That's what was taking place. And so tonight, what we have and what we experience, it ought to hold a special place in our hearts. And we ought to seek to guard it to its stance on the word of God and the truth and the gospel ought to be a part of who we are for the sake of the kingdom of God. And not just our own little individual places, but for the kingdom itself, the gospel of Jesus Christ and so, Lord willing, next Sunday night, we're going to continue on as we move past some of this time period and get into some of some of the early churches and start to look what was taking place in there, and some of the early church father writings as we share some of the things that they Uh, We're a part of some of the councils that took place, like the Nicene Council, uh, the Council at Jerusalem. Matter of fact, we're going to look at the Council of Jerusalem. There was a meeting that was held in Jerusalem, the Council of Jerusalem, the Council of Nicene, the Council at Ephesus, the Council at Antioch. uh, All of these dealing with issues concerning doctrine, uh, concerning issues within side of the early church days. And uh, so, hang on, we got a lot to look at, we got a lot to go through, got a lot to consider and hang on to as we consider what we have in Jesus Christ tonight. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, how many of y'all remember that from this morning? Do you? Good. Thank you. And by the way, it gets sweeter as the days go by. Thank you, Chris, for that this morning. Really appreciate it. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.